0: New York City, the makers of Clippercraft craft clothes for men, and 1036 leading retail stores from coast to coast, present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Tonight's story, The Adventure of Lady Waverly's Imitation Pearl. Here we are again in dr watson's cheerful study the lamps have been lit and from outside comes the steady drip of a soft spring rain mixed with fog
1: yes mr harris this sort of weather always reminds me of
0: baker
2: street Mm -hmm.
1: i think i can do no better than tell you of an adventure that had its inception on just such a day it had to do with the great lady's pearls which were not altogether genuine And it ended in the chambers of a certain well-born, but shall we say, careless bachelor in Albany. Well,
0: that's the first time I knew you and Sherlock Holmes ever visited the Hudson Valley, Doctor.
1: We didn't, Mr. Harris, unfortunately. No, Albany in this story refers to an imposing building which was originally the residence of the Duke of York in Albany. It was later divided into chambers for famous and fashionable bachelors. uh, Speaking of gentlemen of fashion, Mr. Harris... uh, isn't that your department?
0: It certainly is, Dr. Watson. And in the spring, it's natural for a man to think of new clothes. And this spring, you have every right to the most your money can buy, which means you need pay no more than Clippercraft's modest prices. For Clippercraft clothes, the result of the famous Clippercraft plan, are one of America's finest values. The Clippercraft plan concentrates the buying power of 1,036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast making possible steady year-round operation, resulting in tremendous savings in manufacturing and distribution costs, and putting those savings, even in the face of today's high prices, in your pocket. And your Clipper Craft dealer is a friendly local independent store where you get real personal attention. New spring Clipper Craft suits, beautifully tailored, are only $40 and $45. Top coats in fine coverts and worsted gabardines, are only $40 and $45, and sport jackets, but $26.50. Compare clipper craft with clothes selling for many dollars more.
1: In short, no matter what the occasion, Easter parades or a visit to your best girl, we hope you'll continue to set sail in a
0: clipper (laughs) craft. Very neatly put, Dr. Watson. And now to return to the gentleman who lives in the Albany.
1: Oh, no, no, not the Albany, Mr. Harris, just Albany. He lived in Albany, that's how we express it, you know. Well, it all began placidly enough. It was late one dreary April afternoon. Since morning, a dun-colored veil had hung over the housetops, looking like a reflection of the mud-colored streets beneath. Neither Holmes nor I had stirred abroad the entire day. I sat in my armchair, silent and morose. The dampness had brought the usual twinges to my old bullet wound. Holmes, who was always a contrary individual, bounced about like an animated cricket. Oh, Holmes, if you'd light like somewhere for just a few minutes. Hmm, it acting up a bit, eh, Watson? Oh, no more than usual in this weather, confound it.
3: Yes, I thought I recognized the vice-like set of the jaw. Of course, I'm not a medical man, but I think I could suggest a remedy. Certainly not. Aha, did you hear that? You hear what? The house is as still as a morgue. A carriage just came to rest at our curb. A rather elegant four-wheeler. A metal, some horse. The man on the box has jumped, jumped down. Now he's dashing up our front steps you hear that watson it sounds as if our visitor's errand might be urgent oh
1: how can you tell all that you haven't even looked out of the window
3: my ears watson are nearly as acute as my eyes yes he is rather unrestrained wouldn't you say now it's just
1: possible oh, that... for pity's sake stop deducing and go to the window and see what's up very well if you insist
3: yes Four-wheeler turns out to be an elegant equipage with the name Blevins and Possitor embossed in discreet gold lettering on the door.
1: Oh, you mean it's a delivery van?
3: Dear yeah, I me, mean, no. Blevins and Positer do not deliver. They escort whatever valuables come within their purview to their destinations in what is practically a private carriage. You wouldn't expect to see Lady Blenkinsop's emeralds or the Countess of Whistleworth's rubies drive up in a lorry. Well,
1: the Blevins and Positors are jewelers.
3: You go to the head of the class, Watson. I wonder what's wrong at Blevins and Positors and... Why, the man on the box has left his conveyance unattended to pay us a visit. Ah, here he is now. Come in, come in.
1: Ah, Holmes, for once you were wrong. He's not a coachman, he's a young gentleman in an elegant ulster and a billycock hat. I
3: didn't say he was a coachman, I said he was the man on the box. Why are you driving your own carriage, young man?
4: What's happened to your usual coachman? Well, that's what I came to see you about, Mr. Holmes. Uh, You are Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I take it? Quite. Oh, Burbage, he's our driver, has been bludgeoned, and the contents of Lady Waverley's box is stolen. Uh, Burbage was inside the carriage, slumped on the floor. His forehead was still bleeding. However, he was coming to when we found him. Was he badly hurt? I, I don't think so. There's no evidence of a skull fracture, just a lump over the left eyebrow. I drove him home, of course, and his wife put him to bed with a poultice. Was he able to describe what had happened to him? Oh, yes, he was quite rational. Then why didn't you bring him along with you? Oh, I couldn't, don't you know? He was in his underwear. Oh, rubbish. Well, well, I, I'm doing my best, Mr. Holmes. I, I'm at my wit's end. Of course, when my uncle hears of this, I shall probably be sacked. I never wanted the job of playing nursemaid for all those confounded jewels. Well, I, I'll admit,
1: I should never have taken that nap. Oh, easy there, young man. No, no good becoming incoherent. If you want us to help you out, you'll have to pull yourself together. Oh, uh, by the way, I'm Dr. Watson, Mr. Holmes' colleague and uh, a biographer.
4: Which is nothing to brag about, Watson. Hmm? Oh, I say, I am sorry. Don't, I don't know what's happened to my manners. I haven't even presented my card. Allow me. Read it, once.
1: Archibald Trotwold and Down in the corner it says, representing Blevin and Positor. Uh,
4: that, that's my uncle. I mean THE Positor. The one who owns most of the firm. I see. How long have you been in his employ? Well, Just a little over two months. Oh, I did so want to make good on Jenny's account, you know. She's my wife and a darling. We've been married five weeks last Tuesday. Oh, uh, that's charming. Watson, don't interrupt. Uh, in what capacity does your uncle employ you, Mr Possitor? Yes. Well, it's not a very impressive position, I'm afraid. I sit in the carriage and make sure everything's safely delivered to the proper address.
1: When a firm deals in the commodities your uncle sells, young man, I should say that's a position of considerable responsibility.
4: Oh, yes, yes. I've had jewels amounting to a quarter of a million in my possession many times. And I assure you, if there had been anything like that in the carriage today, I shouldn't have dreamed of going home for lunch and taking a bit of a nap. So, you went home and had a nap? Yes, sir. You see, I I had a touch of a toothache. Besides, I missed seeing Jenny at breakfast. I do hope you understand, sir. What? And where did you leave the carriage with the undelivered packages? Oh, just out in front, Mr. Holmes. It shouldn't have been too much of a risk. Burbage has been with the firm over 30 years. He's thoroughly reliable. Besides, I'd already delivered the really valuable articles, Mrs. Huddleston's Emerald Earrings and the Duchess of Heppleworth's Diamond Stomacher. There was only Lady Waverley's box left, Mr. Holmes. It certainly never occurred to me anyone anyone would want to lift that. What was in Lady Waverley's jewel box?
1: Oh, just her pearls and a tea service. That's a bit thick, eh, Holmes? Just some pearls and a silver tea service. I take it the service was silver, Mr. Positor?
4: Only superficially. She had sent it to be replated, you see. And the pearls were imitations, too. Uh, Fairly good ones, I'll admit. Uh, She'd had them restrung. She keeps the real ones in the vault. Cagey old girl, eh, Holmes? Mm, Fortunately for her. Mm -hmm. Well, that's my point exactly, Mr. Holmes. It'll ruin our reputation to know there's been a theft of any kind. People will be decidedly skittish about having us repair their jewels if they hear of it. I I, I don't know what my uncle will say. Hmm. When did you first discover something was wrong? When Jenny woke me from my nap. I hadn't meant to take more than 40 winks, but it was nearly 2 o'clock when she started to shake me.
5: Archie. Archie, darling. Hmm? Archie, wake up.
4: It's too early to get up.
5: Archibald, you are up at least you ought to be, it's the middle of the afternoon. And Cook says the carriage has disappeared. What carriage? Blevins and positives, of course. Cook says she thinks something's happened to Burbage. She took a look out the window while she was washing the dishes. She says she saw Burbage talking to a tall gentleman in a top hat. Next thing she noticed, Burbage seemed to be taken ill or something because the gentleman was helping him into the cab. Cook says she was just fixing a cup of hot tea to take out to him when she looked up again and saw the carriage disappearing down the street with Burbage on the driver's box. So he must have recovered, I guess. Oh,
4: but that's impossible. I, I mean that he'd drive off like that.
5: Maybe he wasn't feeling very fit and decided he'd go home, too. Oh,
4: don't be ridiculous. Burbage wouldn't do that, not without letting me know.
5: Well, he has. So there. And I'm not ridiculous.
4: Oh, there, there, darling. I didn't mean it.
5: You did so. You, you just don't love me anymore. Oh,
4: I do. I love you madly. I haven't time to discuss it now. Where's my hat? I've got to go out and find that confounded carriage.
1: Locating a missing carriage somewhere in London. How did you ever expect to do that, Mr. Positor?
3: That detail is unimportant, Watson. Watson. Obvious Mr. Possitor was successful, inasmuch
4: as the carriage is now standing at our curb.
1: Oh, by Jove, I'd forgotten that. Well, as a matter of fact, it wasn't too difficult
4: to locate the carriage. I hadn't gone more than a square or so when I ran into our local policeman, who was on his way to see me. Uh, Jenny and I live in South Kensington. Well, the Bobby reported that Blevins and Possitor's carriage was standing in front of the Victoria and Albert Museum without a driver. And would I be so good as to remove it, as it was impeding traffic? But you say you found Burbage inside the carriage. Why hadn't the policeman noticed it? Well, he was on the floor, covered by the horse blanket, Mr. Holmes.
1: Well, it's fortunate the Metropolitan Police has asked to uh, assist the Mayhomes, or someone might take off with the Bank of England.
3: Don't be fatuous, Watson. Uh, go on, Mr. Poster. You found the coachman under a horse blanket,
4: but stripped to his underwear and with a gash on his forehead. Where exactly on his forehead? Well, Over his left eyebrow, just under the hairline. There was a lump as big as an egg, too, and his hands were tied behind him with a large handkerchief. His own? Uh, oh, no, Mr. Holmes. It, it was made of the finest cambric. As a matter of fact, I brought it along with me. Here it is. Oh, good boy. Hmm. Interesting. Most interesting.
1: Well, so there's nothing distinctive about that handkerchief, Holmes. Not even a monogram.
3: On the contrary, my dear Watson, this handkerchief is most helpful. It tells us that the criminal, or it's undoubtedly his handkerchief, is addicted to the use of scent, bergamot, to be exact. He's also a pipe smoker who carries a not-too-well-closed tobacco pouch. Notice the shreds of tobacco which still cling to the fabric. Hmm, rather rare tobacco, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we shall have to investigate it further. My high-powered microscope, Watson.
1: Oh, very well. But what you expect to deduce from a shred of tobacco, i like...
3: No source of information, Watson, no matter how infinitesimal. Yes, from a drop of water. The true man of science can deduce Niagara Falls, as I've said before. Oh, fiddle-faddle in spite of watson's derogatory remarks mr Possitor, i am probably the greatest living authority on tobacco both in the unsmoked stage and later when it's become ashes but while my colleague is setting up the microscope suppose you tell us exactly what the coachman burbage
4: had to say for himself uh, well yes sir well i found the carriage in front of the museum right enough and when i opened the door to look inside i heard a moaning and groaning
2: Hello, what's up? Help, get this blanket off of me. Burbage, whatever are you doing there and in that condition? No, close the door, Mr. Positor, sir. I wouldn't want to draw a crowd. Not in my underwear. Now then, what's happened? I've been conked, sir. What? Stood behind me, he did, when I wasn't looking. And then he stripped me of my driver's uniform, got up in the box in it, and drove us away. I've always said you could trust a man that was fond of horses, but not anymore, I won't. Oh? Huh? That's how we got to talking, sir. I was giving Bessie her midday oats when down the street he comes twirling a silver-headed cane just as nonchalant as you please. Fine animal. That she is, sir. I like horses. Mind if I give her a lump of sugar? (laughs) If she'll take it, sir. Bessie don't make up to everybody. Oh, I think she'll accept homage from me, eh, Bessie? That's a good girl. Well, now, will you look at that? The J. Uh, she um, seems to be favoring this hindfoot. Not oh, really. I hadn't noticed. Maybe she's got a pebble in her shoe. Do you want me to investigate? <laughs> oh, no, sir. That's a familiarity she won't stand for. I'll do it. Here, Bessie. Nice, girl. Give me the oof. Easy, enough Easy. That's right. <gasps> Sorry, old chap. Had to be done. Just a love tap. <clears throat> Into the carriage, you go. <sighs> I want that uniform. Oh. Still conscious, eh? Have to work fast. Yes. Offer the coat. Aha. There we are. Just what I was looking for. How convenient. The box with the Waverly crest right here on the front
4: seat. And so he stripped poor old Burbage, Mr. Holmes, and tied his hands with that handkerchief. After which, he drove the carriage away in Burbage's uniform. But only as far as the Victoria and Albert Museum. At which time, he removed the Waverley box and disappeared at his leisure, still wearing Burbage's clothes.
1: No one would think of questioning a man carrying a large, important box if he were wearing Blevins and Possitor's uniform.
4: Of what size is Burbage, Mr. Positor? Oh, about my height. Five feet eleven, I should say. But a bit heavier built. I don't suppose you have any idea who the thief could be, Mr. Holmes? No, his description doesn't tally with
3: any of our better jewellery robbers.
1: What description? Not a word's been said as to what the man's like, aside from the fact that the cook says he wore a top hat. On the contrary, Watson, he's about five feet eleven,
3: or he wouldn't have disappeared wearing Burbage's uniform. He's left-handed. The position of the wound on Burbage's brow gives us that interesting fact. His linen is of fine quality. Witness the handkerchief. He uses bergamot, and he buys the most expensive brand of Latakia tobacco, a variety carried by only two tobacconists in all of London. And last but not least, when it comes to robbery, he's an amateur. But how can you know that? No professional jewel thief would run away with false pearls and silver plate. That could have been an accident. Not at all, Watson. According to Burbage's
4: account, he recognized the box belonging to Lady Waverley. In fact, he probably expected to find it there. You mean the thief must be someone connected with our establishment? who knew the box was in the carriage? Not necessarily. It could just possibly be an intimate of Lady Waverley who knew she was expecting delivery.
1: But why bother with imitation pearls and plated silver? That, my dear Watson,
3: is what makes this case worth investigating.
1: But where are we to begin?
3: With a visit to my friend Philip Ashton, who runs a small but select tobacco shop in the Burlington Arcade.
0: Naturally, there's a reason for Clipper Craft's sensational values. It's applying the world's most modern production methods to the fine old craft of clothes making. That's how we bring you truly fine suits for only $40 and $45. Suits that look really expensive. And top coats, fine coverts and worsted gabardines, for only $40 and $45. And sport jackets for only $26.50. Smart new spring fabrics, including long-wearing worsteds, are ready for you right now. You'll be delighted, too, with their smart styling and the designing skill that assures your comfort. It's all the result of the unique Clipper Craft plan, which concentrates the buying power of 1036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast. Yes, selling expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest independent stores, is the great big idea behind the Clipper Craft plant. That's why men who know insist on Clipper Craft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clipper Craft store in your city.
4: These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clipper Craft in your suits, top coats and sport jackets. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue.
0: And now back to Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. We find them standing in front of a counter, sniffing the contents of several elegant glass jars filled with tobacco.
3: Yes. Yes, this, unless I'm very much mistaken, is the mixture the gentleman uses. Mr. Ashton, are there many gentlemen who buy this variety of tobacco?
2: Oh, I know, Mr. Holmes. It's rather special. Besides being expensive, I sell it to only four gentlemen in all.
3: Now, tell me, among those four, is there an individual who's about uh, Watson's height? Well-dressed, who carries a silver-headed cane, is left-handed, and has a weakness for bergamot scent?
2: I know, Mr. Holmes. I'm afraid there's not one of the four fits that description. No. Uh, Mr. Hopworth has a silver headed stick, but he's taller than you are. Uh, Mr. Eubanks is very short and can't abide scent. The Honorable Clarence Berswick is right handed. A uh, crack tennis player, you know. Uh, Colonel Jameson never appears out of uniform. That says it, Holmes. Maybe your confounded
1: deductions aren't so infallible after all. Now, hold on, though.
2: There was a young gentleman came in yesterday answering that description. He purchased some of this tobacco? Uh, no, the young lady bought it for him she buys it for all her admirers uh, he seemed rather shy about accepting a present from a lady uh, but she laughed and said she expected a present from him in return said he had never given her a proper present like some of her admirers
3: can
1: you remember the gentleman's name
2: oh, i'm afraid not mr holmes she didn't mention it just called him freddy uh, but i do know the lady's name sir
1: fine not a good daddle, will do eh, holmes
2: one blind alley after another
3: stop burbling watson what is the lady's name ashton
2: Violet de Vila, the new prima donna at the Gaiety, The one there's been all that talk
1: about. Of course, Holmes. That's the girl the King of Portugal was supposed to have been so crazy about. Showered her with jewels. She's supposed to be one of the reasons he lost his throne.
3: So is every publicity-hungry actress in Europe. You mustn't believe everything you read in the papers, Watson.
4: Oh, dash!
1: Well, what do
3: we do now? Now, let me see. It's just half an hour till curtain time. Dear little Violet should be putting on her makeup. I think if we drop around to the gaiety, we might persuade the lady to show us the latest addition to her jewel collection.
2: There's two gentlemen to see you, Mr. Bill. I can't see anyone now, Peter. Take the flowers or
5: whatever they've brought and tell them to come back after the show.
2: They haven't brought anything, Mr. Bill, just themselves. It's Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Sherlock
5: Holmes... Detective. In person. Oh, just a moment, shall so I throw on my opening costume? I've always been dying to meet
2: you. She's got one weakness, so she do love celebrities. Show the
5: gentleman
2: in, Peter. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. And friend. Uh, my usual billing.
5: Well, this is a pleasure. Do sit down, Mr. Holmes. You too, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Dr. Watson. Oh, yes, of course. How stupid of me. I've read all your darling stories. I do love to be thrilled. You do it so beautifully, you
1: know? Why, Mr. Ville, that is... Uh, well, I'm quite overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I mean that a young lady of your obvious discernment... But, of course, I
5: it? suppose no one could help making the exploits of the great Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, exciting.
1: Mm, yes, of course. Back among the also-rans.
5: And now, Mr. Holmes, I'm just bursting with curiosity. What brings you here? I've always understood you were practically a woman-hater.
3: Not hater, my dear Miss Violet. I'm just, shall we say, on to their little tricks.
5: Oh, dear. And I was so hoping to try mine out on you. have some very effective ones, you
3: know. Save them for some more susceptible victim. Oh,
5: dear, I've always had a weakness for rude, self-sufficient men.
3: <laughs> Got to that time, Holmes. Don't interrupt, Watson. My dear Miss Violet, if I may call you that.
5: I'd love it, unless you'd rather call me by.
3: Miss Violet will do. I've come to warn you not to accept a present of jewellery from a certain fashionable young man.
5: Gracious, I wonder which one you can mean. A girl in my position gets so many presents, you know.
3: Suppose I specifically warn you against accepting pearls from a gentleman whose name is, uh, shall we say, Freddie.
5: Oh, this is fascinating. Why shouldn't I accept them, Mr. Holmes?
3: Because he acquired them in a rather, rather
5: unorthodox fashion. I do believe you're trying to tell me Freddy stole them. Oh, but that's delicious. If you only knew how delicious they're ridiculous. Pretty just couldn't possibly have stolen those particular pearls.
3: Then you have already accepted them.
5: What makes you jump to that interesting conclusion, Mr. Holmes? Hmm.
3: My dear Miss Violet, you will never make a great dramatic actress until you learn to control your reactions. When I first mentioned the pearls, your eyes darted quickly to your makeup box to see if they were in sight. Then when I intimated they might have been stolen, you couldn't resist closing the lid.
5: This is ridiculous, Mr. Holmes. Freddie wouldn't steal anyone's pearls. Oh, I'll admit he's hot-headed and impulsive, but he wouldn't steal.
3: Are you sure? How well do you know Freddie? uh...
5: Better than you do, at any rate, Mr. Holmes. I may not be a great dramatic actress, but I do recognize the gift when I see it. You didn't come here to warn me not to accept any pearls. You came here to find out who gave them to me. You don't even know Freddy's last name. Sorry, but you won't get it from me.
3: Don't you think you're getting a bit rash, my dear Miss Violet? I mean, why risk getting on the wrong side of the law for a string of imitation pearls?
5: Imitation? Yes. Don't be silly, Mr. Holmes. Freddy's pearls are real, right enough. They've been in the family for years.
3: What makes you think he's given you the real ones, Miss Violet? Surely you must know Freddy has other uh, interests.
5: If you mean that bandy-legged little soubrette at the Savoy, I know all about that. It was all over months ago.
3: Then why did he give her the real pearls just half an hour ago?
5: Mr. Holmes, you're a brilliant detective, but you should not underrate the feminine intelligence. It was a beautiful trap, Mr. Holmes, but just a bit too obvious. Now, if you'll excuse me, I hear the overture. My public is waiting. Do come again, Mr. Holmes, when you've thought up some more tricks. Now, if you don't mind leaving.
3: Not at all, thank you. we have quite finished.
1: Yeah, interesting female, eh, Holmes? I don't know when I've more thoroughly enjoyed an interview.
3: Ah, an excellent dinner, if I do say so myself, Watson. Pheasant was almost
1: perfect. Undoubtedly, and it will put a jolly little crimp in our budget. Late dinner at Prince's Restaurant, champagne and caviar. I don't know what's got into you, Holmes.
3: Oh, calm yourself, Watson. It all goes on the bill I shall send Blevins and Positor in the morning.
1: Holmes, you're really outrageous. You've made a hash of the case. You've found out absolutely nothing. And yet you have the affront to talk of sending a bill in the morning. Well, you shouldn't be ashamed of yourself. On the contrary, Watson, I think I've done rather well. Well? That DeVille woman made an absolute ass of you. You mean
3: that's the impression I permitted her to gather. She thinks she didn't give me the Pearl thief's name. Actually, she spelled it out in block letters when she admitted they have been in Freddy's family for generations. Whose pearls were they, Watson? Lady Waverley's, of course. Then putting two and two together, the thief must be a Waverley as well. Sir Freddy Waverley is a well-known young man about town with a weakness for ladies of the theatre. It's as simple as that.
1: You mean he's stolen his own mother's pearls?
3: His stepmother's, Watson. Freddy's always resented her. If his father hadn't married for a second time shortly before his death, Freddy would have inherited the pearls years ago.
1: But why all this bother about imitation pearls?
3: Freddy doesn't know their imitations. It's never occurred to him that his stepmother keeps the real ones in the vault.
1: Yes, well, if you're so sure of yourself, why not go to him and demand he return the silly things? If we were that
3: gauche, Watson, the lady would probably refuse to give them up. No, you may count on it. Miss Violet will return them to him of her own accord as soon as the performance is over.
1: And how do you reach that
3: interesting conclusion? Freddie may not suspect that they are imitations, but dear little Violet is not so naive. Once you were out of the way, you can count on it she rushed back and bit into the necklace. Yes, I don't imagine she took her discovery very placidly. Hmm, they must
1: have had an interesting performance tonight at the Gaiety. Yes, but Holmes, that performance was over nearly 20 minutes ago. We'd better get ourselves along to Sir Freddie's flat, wherever that is, or, or Miss Violet will get that ahead of us. Chances are she won't wait to remove her makeup.
3: My dear Watson, why do you think I ordered a table in the window? Sir Freddie Waverley resides just opposite there in the impressive architectural monstrosity known as Albany in flat 2A to be exact.
1: I say Holmes. There comes a carriage tearing down the street. It's stopped across the way. Yes, by Jove, that's Violet getting out.
3: Quick, Watson, we'd better rescue the Honorable Freddy before she tears his hair out by the roots. Down this corridor, Watson. Yes, there's Miss Violet. Just going to 2A now.
2: Violet, darling! <laughs> But how jolly to see you here. I mean, I I hadn't hoped so soon that you you would have received the pearls this afternoon. Ah, Those pearls! How dared you give me those pearls?
5: I've never been so insulted in all my life. Oh, come off it by. You've accepted jewellery from gentlemen before this? Yes, jewellery, not paste.
2: Violet, what are you raving about? What
5: sort of a fool do you take me for? Do you think I don't know the real ones went to that little scarecrow at the Savoy? Well, give her these. She can put them on her poodle.
3: If you don't mind, Miss Violet, I'll relieve you of those pearls. And we may as well collect the tea service while we're at it, Watson. I see the box is standing just inside the door. What is this, a burglary? You should recognize the symptoms, Sir Freddie. If you think I've got to stand here and let two run... Oh, don't
5: be a bigger idiot than you can help, Freddy. This isn't a thief. Sherlock Holmes.
3: And don't be alarmed, Sir Freddie. These are not the Waverley pearls. Those are quite safe in Lady Waverley's bank vault.
5: You mean that little floozy hasn't got them?
1: Do you mean no? That was just a trick on Holmes' part. Why, why, you, you unspeakable. Yes, Miss Violet. You should never
3: underrate the masculine intelligence, you know,
1: particularly when it belongs to Sherlock Holmes.
0: I must say that was a neat bit of work on Holmes' part, Dr. Watson. And now, how about a hint about next week's story?
1: All right. Well, next week I'll tell you how Holmes made a startling and dramatic appearance after several years' absence. And how we stalked a tiger who carried one of the most ingenious and deadly weapons Holmes
0: was ever threatened with. <laughs> The makers of Clippercraft clothes and 1,036 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Miser. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next Sunday to Sherlock Holmes in the Adventure of the Empty House. Harris speaking for Clipper Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
4: Elvin Elliott with the news will follow station identification.